If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. We'll start the show in just a moment after a word from our sponsor. Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management and online fundraising software that helps small to medium nonprofits, just like First Tee of Greater Akron, a nonprofit that empowers kids and teens through the game of golf. After just one year with Bloomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. Keep listening to hear how they did it or visit bloomerang.com forward slash intentional to learn more. Again, that's bloomerang.com forward slash intentional. Today on the Intentional Fundraiser podcast, I'm talking with Gung Wang. He's the CEO of Civic Champs, where he leads a team of passionate changemakers to help nonprofits maximize their impact by deepening volunteer engagement. They do that through their innovative platform that makes volunteer scheduling, hour tracking, digital waivers, reporting, and even donations easier than ever before all while helping nonprofits save time, reduce manual efforts, and improve the volunteer experience. Gung, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tammy. I'm super excited to be here. We're excited to have you. So let's just jump in. Yeah, absolutely. First question, what inspired you to launch Civic Champs and why are you so passionate about volunteerism? Yeah, Civic Champs. So this is my third startup company. I had two others in the past, and so entrepreneurship is something I enjoy doing, apparently. And I was sort of feeling the itch in 2019, so that's how old Civic Champs is, and you know, wanted to do something like many people, probably many of your listeners, within the social sector, right, and doing something that could make a positive impact on our communities. And so thought about there's lots of ways to do that, right, but volunteerism has always been sort of near and dear to me. Um, you know, it's something I've always done growing up. And I think it's, for me personally, it's been a way for me to sort of build my empathy, right? It's a way that I've learned about different people that maybe I, I wouldn't have come in contact with. Obviously, there's the social aspects, right, of making friends and then sort of engaging in this really positive way. And so I thought, you know, what if there's a way to help bring volunteerism to make it easier, right, for everyone to do more volunteering? And so originally we focused on how do we help volunteers? But as I talked to lots of nonprofits, EDs, volunteer managers, right, as we're getting this idea off the ground, what I heard was, hey, you know, actually we have a lot of processes and, you know, a, sort of a lack of platform, right, that, that could be really helpful. And I thought, you know, instead of helping the volunteers find their opportunities and things like that, 
we could probably have even more impact if we provide the tools or the people that are already sort of on the front lines doing this work, right? And so that's where the idea for Civic Champs came about. And yeah, we've been super excited and to support hundreds of nonprofits across the country. Very cool. So you started it in 2019 and then boom, 2020, the pandemic. So obviously volunteering took a big hit during the pandemic. How big was the hit and how are you seeing volunteerism rebounding now? So the hit was big and specifically for organized volunteering, right? So there's, I think what you saw was a drastic decline in organized volunteering. What I mean by that is, you know, where companies or nonprofits, right, have have sort of a, a program in place that says like, hey, come here, you know, like a food bank or like a animal shelter or like a habitat or museums, especially, right, docents or ushers at theaters, right, especially in sort of the arts and cultural space that more or less went to zero for quite a while, right? And it's only been yeah. in the past half a year that for those organizations that had kind of come back up. Some organizations, because they were so reliant on volunteers, managed to keep their programs open. And even then, it was usually, hey, we're going to go from, let's call it a thousand volunteers a year to maybe just my core 2550, right? But I think the nice thing is we saw even within a few months of COVID, right? You started to see sort of the bottom out and people started figuring out some systems in place, right? Like we figure out how to do masking. And but even then, right, it was very low for a very long time. The positive piece was individuals, right? Sort of micro volunteering or sort of neighbors helping neighbors that really saw an explosion, right? Mutual aid groups became very popular during COVID-19. And so that for me was, hey, you know, people still want to give and help. And so now fast forward to today, what I would say is for nonprofit and even organized volunteering, the total number of volunteers at most organizations is around the same as it was pre-COVID already, right? So we've sort wow. of made that full transition back. The intensity of that volunteering, though, is slower, right? And so what I mean by that is the number of hours or number of shifts per volunteer looks like it's about maybe 10, 15% lower than it was before COVID. And I think part of that is you see a generational shift, right? And so some of the older volunteers that stopped volunteering, they just never came back, right? Or in the numbers. And so now you're replacing that, fortunately, with some younger volunteers. But as I think most folks in the sector know, right, a lot of your recurring sort of very dedicated volunteers tends to be from sort of the, the retiree age group. Yeah. More available time, looking for more purpose, et cetera. It makes sense. So did you see nonprofits taking the pause as an opportunity to kind of reimagine volunteer engagement within their organizations? And if so, what kind of innovations have you seen and what role has technology played in those innovations? I think the answer is yes for some not all, right? I think certainly there's a percentage of nonprofits that I think we're just trying to survive, right? And get to the next day. And there's not a lot of mindshare then that you can think about like, oh, how do I reimagine? Like they were already reimagining, right? They're reimagining their core programs. And for some organizations that might mean with their volunteers, right? So they, you saw a transition to more virtual volunteering, right? And so you have examples, I think it was in Nashville where they actually sent out kits for people to do virtual volunteering, but as a group, 
right? And so they said, hey, if you want to make, I think they're making like like these little, I think they're like rugs for animals as a comforting space for them. And they could donate it back to the animal shelters, right? And so you saw some really creative and innovative ways. I think people got really used to Zoom. And so if you're talking about mentoring programs, as an example, so we serve a lot of after school and sort of youth oriented. And so virtual volunteering from mentorship really took off as an example. And again, you know, use that technology, right? So sort of what we're doing here, right, with the podcast yeah. and video, a lot of folks obviously you know, were able to adopt that for their programs. And you'll see things like Civic Champs, like, so as we saw this happening, we were adding more features, right? And so we're, for example, been piloting with a delivery platform, right? Like a dispatching platform for either food delivery or dispatching to pick up older adults, right? And taking them to hospital visits, or maybe it's you know, somebody that's in rehab, right? That needs to get to uh, mm -hmm. a specific location. Physical therapy or something. Exactly. And people yeah. are just getting a little bit more comfortable with technology and, and they think, you know, hey, pushed by COVID, right? You were thinking about like systems that can mitigate maybe physical contact to some degree, right? And so, I, yeah, so I think we've seen some of this, but it's not certainly not across the board. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that the pandemic really forced folks who maybe were not that warm to technology, not to stereotype, but maybe retirees or people who did not use a lot of technology in their careers, just by simply wanting to visit with their grandchildren or their children, <laughs> they learned about Zoom. And then when things started to open up, I always say that the best thing that ever happened to the QR code was the pandemic, <laughs> right? It was absolutely the only way we could order food or drinks at a restaurant. So I, I do think that, you know, people are warmer to technology, though it may not have felt at the time, like 2019 was the time to invest in this technology to help connect volunteers, right. people who wanted to make a difference to nonprofits. Really, it was just good timing. It was like you were just before like the peak of opportunity, I think. That's right. That's right. That's Boy, what we tell it. ourselves, at least, that we were <laughs> investing in the product in the moment so that we were ready when it you know, came back. We've heard lots of stories like that where, to your point, where someone says, hey, I'm restarting my volunteer program. And they say, yeah. you know what? I don't want to do it the same way as before. Right? Like That didn't make a lot of sense. I wasn't super happy about it. Or it's actually, we're restarting program and I'm a new volunteer manager coordinator and I wanted to put my own sort of stamp on the program. And as part yeah. of that, I want to think about what, what platforms and technology we might want to use, maybe something like Civic Champs, right? Yeah, for sure. I've worked in organizations where it's been this combination of Excel spreadsheets and Word docs and the background checks mm -hmm. and the clearances and all of that are hopefully in one folder on the server, password protected, but not necessarily. Right. Well, yeah, reimagining it to be higher quality, more efficient, and honestly, more compliant. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So good. What are some of the best and even emerging practices for recruiting and retaining volunteers post-COVID? I think some of them aren't all that different right, from pre-COVID, right? Like best practices are often best practices for a reason, right? Yeah. A few things that come to mind, right, that are that still remain the same, right, is that clarity of instructions, right? So, hey, do I know how to sign up? Do I know what I'm supposed to do when I show up? Because people, when they get there, they want to help and milling around and waiting is very demotivating, 
right? And so, for example, and this is where technology can be helpful, right? And so if you have, instead of everyone waiting for the sign-in sheet and paper waivers, right? You know, if there's a way on mobile or maybe on a kiosk that they can quickly get through all of that and get started, that can be really helpful. Templating, right, your instructions in a way that gets sent out automatically to folks can, can be really helpful there. So I think that piece has stayed the same, although, again, with technology, maybe it can be better, right? I think the other thing, right, you know, responsiveness is, again, one of the most important. And this is true even, you know, as, as an entrepreneur, I think about sales. And you can apply really the same lessons, right? And so for us, we look at how quickly can we get back to somebody when they reach out to us? Because studies have shown again and again for businesses, right, the faster you can get back to a potential customer or prospect, I think they're twice as likely, three times as likely to sign up for your product, right? And I think anecdotally, we all know that's true. Like when you reach out to, this, to a company, if one of them is really responsive and the other waits a day or two, you're going to go with the first option because you assume certain things about how much they care about you, how much yeah. they want in their customer service. You're making some assumptions here. And I think that's the same for volunteers because volunteers, if they reach out, it's unlikely that you're the only option, so to speak, right? And so they're going to judge by that responsiveness. Like, hey, do you really value your volunteers? And that responsiveness is part of that. And again, technology can be quite helpful, right? Where if someone reaches out, maybe there's an automated response that gets to them right away, or maybe it alerts you in a way that allows you to get back to them more quickly, right? And so mm -hmm. I think a lot of the sort of tried and true methods are still the same, but maybe the way you do it can be bolstered. Yeah, to provide more ease for the volunteer management or the programmatic administration of volunteerism, and certainly to provide a higher level of clarity and ease mm -hmm. and confidence with the volunteers themselves. That makes perfect sense. Typically, it seems like volunteers come to us by three different paths. At least mm -hmm. that's been my experience. Yep. Right. So that maybe there's a service club or a membership club and they want to volunteer as a group and do something specific. Maybe it's more of a episodic volunteer experience. Then there are individuals or families who want to participate, who want to volunteer either episodically or ongoingly. Yep. I know when I was the chief philanthropy officer at the Children's Center in Detroit, I would often get those phone calls from moms, suburban moms saying, Abby needs 12 hours by the end of the semester. <laughs> and she do. Right, right. Uh, so individuals and families. And then, of course, there are these great core businesses. Mm -hmm. And they recognize that team volunteerism is absolutely an outward expression of their corporate values. Yep. But that that process also strengthens teams. It bonds teams. And it makes them feel really good about their employer. Right. I'm a part of a company that really cares. And a lot of companies, at least in Detroit, are even offering VPTO, so volunteer yep. paid time off each year. So it's really exciting and encouraging for those of us who can leverage and maximize volunteers. So here's my question. Are these still the primary paths to volunteerism? Do you see anything else emerging? And do you have any advice about how our listeners might maximize volunteer engagement with any one of those unique groups of people or paths to volunteerism? 
Yeah, the tried and true again, I think largely wins out, which is these are still your primary paths to volunteerism. My sense is the individuals and families probably is a little bit more consistent throughout, right? So what you're going to see the more recent uptick is with your service and membership clubs, and then also with your corporations. Corporations, I think, being the the slowest, right? Usually for a number of reasons, but probably risk is a big part of it. But I think the positive piece on corporations is that increasingly as a recruitment, not tactic, but a requirement almost with especially younger employees, they need to do this. It's expected. It's a baseline action at this point, right? Mm -hmm. People want to feel like they're with a company that cares about the community. And so it matters a lot for them. I think the only thing that we see a little bit more of, but I think it's still relatively small, is around social media and the impact that can have to sort of drive engagement and volunteerism among friend groups, right? It's actually not all that dissimilar from a traditional sense of like, hey, if, if I could do something, I might invite my friends. Just the format of how that happens can be a little bit different, right? So people might invite them on social as opposed to like on a face-to-face conversation mm-hmm. per se. And then to really dive in, you know, one of the things that I think is to your point, right, the VPTO, volunteer time off, there's also this component around volunteer matching grants, I think, that a lot of nonprofit organizations are not as aware of or certainly don't take as much advantage of. And so this is where companies will provide a grant to a nonprofit based on the number of hours typically that their employees have volunteered at that organization. So let's say someone does 10 hours with a nonprofit, but their company will match you know, $10 per hour. That could generate $100 in sort of donations without a lot of work, right? And so thinking about leveraging that, I think it can be quite important. And oftentimes, to your point, companies are looking for these opportunities And so you have prepackaged ways for them to engage and you reach out to them. I think you'll make a lot of HR teams days, right? And say, (laughs) I needed to come up with our volunteer event for the year or the quarter. And oh, shoot, this nonprofit has exactly what I need. I don't have to think about it. It's on this date. Great. I'm just going to do that. And by the way, if you know that they already have that matching program, you know that that's going to come with not just 30 volunteers, but maybe $3,000 as well. Yeah. Right? And, and that could be meaningful. It's a really great point because just like everyone else, whomever is organizing these team volunteerism group opportunities, whether it's human resources or department heads, they're busy. Mm-hmm. Right? They've got their day job. And so if we have a plan, a menu of options for them to engage, ready to go, and the infrastructure and systems to track which employees are volunteering, how many hours, and even high-skilled volunteerism, right? right? I know often we would bring in a Deloitte or an Ernst & Young and a team, and they would tackle one of our business challenges. Right. And to be able to track those hours and to report back and to maximize any matching grants is really good. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the other thing is if you think of from a donation or development standpoint, right? These are really great candidates down the road for donations, right? And so this is a great way to get that exposure with a bunch of folks that are probably still in your community that you can then cultivate, right? And I'm a big believer that 
you know, there's there's such a big overlap between volunteers and, and donor bases that you really shouldn't think about them as separate because like they don't think about themselves as separate, right? It's not like, oh, here's volunteer gung and here's donation gung, right? And you're going to, you need to treat the two parts of me separately. Like I am an individual with all, all of the motivations and wishes and aspirations of me, right? And so for you to engage me and have it sort of integrated, right, feels a lot better too. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. First T of Greater Accra needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Here's Executive Director Josh Smith sharing what he likes about Bloomerang. We love Bloomerang because it's so, like, it's very user-friendly. We're able to do more because our daily tasks of thanking donors and sending thank you notes have been cut more than half because of Bloomerang. Year over year, we have raised more funds. So obviously, I think Bloomerang's been a huge part of that. By investing in a donor management system that they actually love using, First Tee of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com forward slash intentional or click the link in the show notes. That makes great logic to me. I'm a believer like you are, but I will tell you, I encounter organizations all the time who have that mindset that, gosh, they give their time. We couldn't possibly ask them for money too. Tell me, what have you found that works well or not so well when asking volunteers to also make financial contributions to the organization? I think first and foremost, right, you have to be very respectful and thankful and grateful, right? I think the second thing is a challenge that organizations face is a lack of insight on what matters to that volunteer and whether they actually had a good experience with you or not, right? And so that's where I think people get in trouble and they've gotten their hand slapped, so to speak. And now they really don't want to do it again because they've got that one negative experience. But that negative experience, if you think back to it, was it because the messaging wasn't quite right? Is it because the volunteer actually had a poor experience? And of course, like I'm going to pick on your uh, your internet company because everyone, none of them are fantastic, right? But like, you know, your internet goes down, you're kind of upset, you're calling in, da, 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 da. And that's not the right point. It's upsell me on the next package, right? Like I would say, right. no, I'm not here now. I'm probably going to move and change another service if you try to do that. But if you know I've had good experiences, right? Maybe I had a really good install process. It was super quick. And I gave you a five star. I said, this is the best I've ever seen. Well, shoot, as a company, you would be silly not to ask me to upgrade at that point or to get a referral or something. I think it's the same thing here, where if you have a really positive experience with a volunteer, right? Why not leverage that moment, right? That they're feeling most inspired by the organization, right? A lot of times that's when they just helped the child. They just helped somebody. They just did the food delivery. They just saw the impact, right? That you're able to do. Now on the messaging, you have to tie the ass to the very specific thing they did, right? Again, I think it's all of these reasons why it can be difficult or hard 
in the past to do this, right? And, and make sure that the amount you ask feels incremental as opposed to the only reason you wanted to divulge, right? Like you definitely don't want to have that, right? So it yeah. has to be sort of a smaller ask. But the goal isn't to maximize your number of dollars, right? The goal is to deepen that engagement. And now you have a new type of relationship with that person. Now they know or feel that they're a donor. And frankly, most nonprofits treat their donors differently. They send them different content. They share different reports, right? And if they're in that pipeline, you actually will act differently with that person. And I think that's really great because now they could see a different side of the organization and, and they're going to feel a bit more tied, right? And you can remind them that just like any other donor, here's why you gave, here's all the impact that you've had. And by the way, you've also been volunteering. Here's the impact of that. And so I think that those are some of the keys and certainly technology can help a lot with that, right? And so, you know, Uber, DoorDash, all of those things, every time you do something, there's a feedback form. So you know if they're happy or not, right? You can automate, you can have the ask happen at the moment, in the right moments. And so that's, I think, where technology, again, could be helpful. Yeah. What you're saying so resonates. First of all, it always is about relationships and impact, <laughs> right? I feel like for most people, time is even more precious than money. We can make more money. We can't necessarily make more time. Right. You could work less, but that never pays off in the long run. I think that the building that relationship, connecting to impact, providing that great experience, an end-to-end -end experience, whether it's the how they get signed up and get into the volunteer mm -hmm. program, as you were saying, not long lines to sign in on the clipboard, but easy sign in via an app or some online mechanism. Clarity, here's what we're doing. We're going to start on time. Here's our task. We're going to do this for X amount. And then we're going to huddle back here and debrief mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And that important closing the loop, whether it's the thank you call, thank you so much for volunteering at that backpack drive, that distribution event. Mm -hmm you know, continuing to mentor our kids at homework help, whatever it is. And then a survey, a survey that can even be anonymous. So they feel free to share with you what is working and then maybe what's not working so well. So I think that's really good. And then understanding at those peak moments, that's when to invite them to consider making a gift. Right. And to your point, related to what their passion area is, which is likely where they volunteered anyway. Right. Right. So, so good. And it's really about thinking through the end to end process, not just the volunteer time slot. Right? right. Yeah. And Gung, I don't know if you've heard this. I hear it all the time in organizations. They'll say, oh, they're just a volunteer. Right. So we only have so many holiday cards and then we have 650 people on the list. Well, let's send them to donors and not the rest of the people because they're just volunteers. And that really breaks my heart. I feel like sometimes we get in the way when we have this closed mindset, like volunteers are never going to give. Donors somehow have a higher status than a volunteer has. And we really need to rethink that mm -hmm. because it is about relationships and it's about commitment. I mean, let's face it, in the yep. U.S., 80% of our first-time donors are never giving to us again. Less than half of our Overall donors aren't making continual gifts, like we're only retaining 46%. And so I really think that we need to rethink all of it 
yep. and get back to not focusing just on fundraising dollars or even volunteer hours, mm-hmm. but about retained relationships. Yeah. 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 And a volunteer has already told you, especially the ones that have come back, that they care deeply about your mission, right? In a way that, to your point, time is very valuable, right? And they're giving that to this organization. I don't know if there's any other signal that's stronger, right? In terms of who cares about this organization. And you never know, right? I think we can be quick to judge, right? To say, oh, well, this volunteer, maybe it doesn't seem like they could be a major donor, but you never know that. Like you, some people are pretty low key, Right. And there's lots of examples of that. I'm thinking about Gleaners, which is a big food bank out of Indianapolis. Right. I think they received a million dollar sort of bequest through a will. And it was a longtime volunteer. I think she was a teacher. Right. And had just like saved a lot of money over time, but was able to sort of do that and volunteered with them for 10, 20 years and hadn't donate for a long time. But then I think they had an inkling a few years ago where one of her big first gifts was in the thousands of dollars, right? And then there's this big, big gift, right? But all of that happened because they provided her with a great experience over time and she could see the value of the work that she was doing and how she was helping the community. So she knew that her gift, right, would continue on that legacy. And I think that's some of the positioning you can talk about, right? Which is, hey, you obviously care about this to help us get to more. Right. Here's another way to help. It makes perfect sense. And in many contexts, whether it's monthly giving or based on capacity and interest, it could be a major gift or leadership level giving, but for sure, legacy giving. (laughs) Right. To ensure that the good work that you care about so much continues in perpetuity. Your spirit lives on through this work. Right. Yeah. I think that's just so lovely. So, Gung. There are so many software tools and online resources and apps available now for nonprofit leaders. And I know sometimes it can feel a little overwhelming. So how do you suggest organizations go about selecting the best volunteer management tool for them and avoid the overwhelm? We have a blog (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, we do. And it lists all of our competitors and all the other solutions that are out there. And certainly I think it's a good resource. We try to be pretty objective and selfishly, we try to be objective because that's what Google, you know, sort of provides value, right? A lot of organizations have very specific needs that are a little bit different, right? And that's one of the challenges we had as we came into the space, which is, oh, actually, if you're a youth oriented nonprofit, Um, and you have volunteer mentors. Well, the way you track or engage with volunteer mentors is very different from a food pantry, right? You know, you care about the engagement with mentor mentees, you care about the communication, as opposed to here, you might care more about their waivers and whether or not they have their liability stuff done. And so picking a platform that serves your very specific needs is helpful. I think you can certainly ask your peers, right? You know, what did they use? Do they like what they use? That's often a bit more honest, right, than whatever sales pitch you're going to be getting. Obviously, I think Civic Champs is awesome and everyone should consider us. But one of the reasons I think we are unique, right, not just because we're ease of use, but increasingly, we also have integrations with your backend providers like Razor's Edge and NXT. And so solutions that can maybe provide 
additional value can be interesting as well, right? I myself learned about new volunteer management software systems on a monthly basis. Like, oh, I've never heard this one. What do they do? And so I can imagine it can be a little bit overwhelming. All that said, right, I wouldn't overthink things either, right? And so whether that includes us or not, but just to say, hey, here's my short list and I'm going to pick the best one out of my short list and be okay with that because we'll never make the most optimal choice, right? It's like house hunting, right? Which I just recently did. Yeah, you could keep looking at all the houses, but at some point you just got to make a choice and be okay. As long as it's quite a bit better than where you were at before, that's still yeah. a huge win, right? And you can always yeah. update and upgrade a couple of years down the road, but as long as it gets you closer to where you want to be, I think that's great. Yeah. Progress, not perfection. Right. Yes. Right? Much more succinct. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but you really make a good point. Like there's the core list of what are the must-haves. Based on, do we need background checks? Do we just need waivers? Must-haves. And then we have the nice-to-haves, and maybe we prioritize those. But you spoke to the integration. And I can tell you from a fundraiser's perspective, because I've been fundraising for nearly 24 years, to be able to see where my donors are engaging from a fundraising perspective inside the donor management system. Mm -hmm. Not having to log into a completely different system, but having seeing some integration. I can see, gosh, Mrs. Forbes is in the gently used clothing boutique the first Friday of every month, volunteering, unpacking, sorting, hanging things. I probably want to mosey on over and say hello the first Friday of every month. Let me mark that in my calendar. Yep. Or if I'm preparing a major gift proposal, I want to see where they've been gravitating. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that hopefully would come up in conversation as I'm cultivating them, but to see how many hours and what that volunteerism has looked like in an integrated fashion sure. just makes the fundraiser more efficient as well. Yeah. At least acknowledging what they've done at a minimum. Right. And by the way, to your point, right, it hopefully comes up in conversation anyway. Yes. But wouldn't it be better if you already knew? And you can voice that to them and say, hey, thank you. Hey, by the way, I noticed that you came last Friday. Sorry, I wasn't there to say hi, but thank you so much for continuing to support us in that way, right? Like, even little Absolutely. things like, oh, wow, they really value and recognize this, right? Yeah, they notice, they get me, yeah. they pay attention. Yeah, and that's the root of all relationships, right? Mm -hmm. So good, so, so good. Well, this has been, I think, a great conversation. We don't always talk about the intersection of volunteerism and fundraising and how that really builds out the complete donor relationship. And so when we were introduced and I learned more about Civic Champs and was really impressed with it, I just knew I had to have you on the podcast. So, Dung, I'm super happy that you joined us. Yeah, no, thank, thank you, you for having me. Yeah. My pleasure. So I'm not going to let you go yet because at the end of every episode, we like to ask a few rapid fire, insightful questions to give even a little more value to our listeners. So if you're game, I've got them all queued up. Sure. Go for it. All right. First one, what's the best fundraising or volunteer engagement advice you've ever received? I think I already said it, but responsiveness. I think yeah. that's an easy one. Everyone can do it. Good. Responsiveness. What book do you recommend to our audience and why? Why Robots Don't Make Good Fundraisers. By Stephen Shattuck. That's right. Stephen's amazing. I love the work that he does. I would recommend that one. 
Yeah, it's great. And actually, Stephen was one of our guests on an earlier episode talking about that book specifically. Oh, great. So we'll uh, include a link to that in the show notes. Gung, what are the three most important traits a successful volunteer manager must possess? Their ability to take feedback. (laughs) The frontline sort of service-oriented role, if you will, right? I think that's one. I think, two, being very organized, right? Like this is ultimately a lot about logistics and scheduling and tracking and all of that. And then I think to your point, we talked about a lot, it's that relationship building, right? Can you build rapport and really make people enjoy their experience, at least enjoy being with you, right? I think that makes a world of difference. Yeah, very good. Now, this one, you might have a little conflict of interest and it's okay. This question is, what's your favorite fundraising or volunteer management application or tool? It's okay if it's yours. (laughs) I have to, of course, say Civic Chance is my favorite. That said, I think there's, on the donor management side, maybe I could be slightly more objective, right? Okay, all right. I like, for smaller organizations especially, Little Green Light is dollar per pound, so to speak, right, is fantastic. I think Razor's Edge NXT is sort of the classic, right, and and works really well, has all the sort of tried and true, if you will. And then Bloomerang is a good choice, too, for a lot of folks, and especially as you think about donor retention, I think that's where they try to specialize a bit more. And so those are some of the ones I, I've enjoyed. Very good. What's your favorite nonprofit conference or volunteer conference and why? I really enjoy the affiliate-specific conferences. For me, that's the most fun. And so like a Habitat International Conference or Boys and Girls Club, Big Brothers, yes. Big Sisters National Conference, that's where I learn the most, right? And it's very specific. And uh, those are the ones I tend to like the most. And so... If you're not an affiliate of a larger organization, I'm sure there's finding something that where you can be around a lot of your peers. I think that's the key, right? So there's a bunch of conferences that are, you know, hey, here's digital marketing for nonprofits, right? And that can be really interesting and sort of like thought provoking usually. But in terms of really tangible takeaways, I think the ones where you are with your peers tends to give you a value. Yeah, that's a great point. Yes, we go to conferences for the education, but it's also wonderful for the collegiality and the networking and building those relationships so that we can share practicing and ask questions after the conference for years and years. Right. So good. Are you going to be attending any conferences, affiliate conferences or other conferences in the coming months that some folks can come find you and talk with you? I had to look at my calendar. Yeah, we try to go to some. The only one I can think of right now is I know I'll be in San Francisco for TechSoup's public Mm -hmm. social app, right? We're panelists for that. I think we'll be at GPNP out in Pittsburgh, sort of a regional conference. But yeah, there might be some other ones I'm not thinking of right now. Yeah, probably. I put you on the spot. I can barely remember what I'm doing tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we have calendars. (laughs) Exactly. Knowing what you know now about volunteer management and engagement and fundraising with volunteers, what advice would you give your younger self just starting out. You've done this during COVID years and those are like dog years. Yeah. Don't launch a company right before COVID. (laughs) I would say for me personally, my thought is if I could embed myself and actually be in the organizations even more, I would have done that. I'd still love to do that, right? That's one of my favorite things is to be on site and see how everything is being done. 
what are the very specific nitty gritty pain points that people might be feeling and experiencing. And so I would probably want to do even more of that. Maybe a younger version of me, I would say, hey, why don't you go be a volunteer coordinator? Maybe be a, a volunteer through AmeriCorps, right? As an example, a lot of them are volunteer coordinators, right? And so I think that would have been a really great experience to be even more on the ground, if you will. And so that's, that's for me personally. I think in terms of other advice I might have for a younger version of me that's in the nonprofit space, right? I would say... I see a lot of folks get kind of burnt out by the role, right? So to the degree that you can you can not take all of the the stress and everything that comes along with the job and sort of like make sure that you just kind of take care of yourself a bit more, right? In terms of mindfulness, right? But know that what you are doing is good enough. And it's already making an impact. And you don't always have to do more, even though there's an incredible amount of pressure for lots of reasons to want to, and the community certainly could appreciate it. Because if you burn out and leave the sector, right, that's a much greater loss than, uh, than otherwise. Well said. We need you volunteer managers and directors and coordinators. So take good care and develop great systems internally so that you can have more ease and less stress. Yes, and yes. give a better volunteer experience. Right, right. Love it. Again, Gung, thank you again for joining us. Such a pleasure. So if you want to learn more about Gung Wang or Civic Champs or follow them on social media, we've included links to their handles and website in the show notes, as well as links to the other resources that we've talked about today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser podcast. Keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now for a final word from our sponsor. Thank you to our friends at Bloomerang for supporting this episode. If you'd like to learn more about how Bloomerang can help your nonprofit acquire, retain, and engage donors, or learn how First Tea of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds in the first year with Bloomerang, head over to bloomerang.com forward slash intentional or click the link in the show notes. The Intentional Fundraiser Podcast is a Fundraising Transformed original. It's hosted by me, Tammy Zonker, founder and president of Fundraising Transformed, where we help equip and empower fundraisers, nonprofit leaders, and board members to transform their fundraising so they can transform the world. Visit fundraisingtransform.com slash podcast to subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my newsletter to get fundraising lessons, tools, and helpful resources delivered straight to your inbox each month. If you want my help with taking your fundraising to the next level, become a member of my Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member and join me live each month where I'll teach you the same strategies I use to lead, train, and coach thousands of nonprofits, social service organizations, healthcare foundations, private schools, colleges, and universities to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars 
including a single gift of $27.1 million. As a member, you can participate in my Ask Me Anything sessions every month and get answers to your burning questions. Chat with other growth members inside our private and safe online community about what you're working on, struggling with, and share lessons learned. And get instant access to my growing library of on-demand self-paced training classes. New content is added every single month. Learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com slash growth. Talk soon.